Good morning again, and welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Well, today we start a new sermon series in the book of Proverbs, looking at old wisdom for a new day. Now, we hear the word wisdom quite a bit, but what exactly is wisdom? Well, people may offer all kinds of different answers to that question. Some people treat wisdom as though it's just one of several character attributes you must have if you want to live a good life. Some people boil wisdom down to the ability to make sound decisions in the various circumstances that life throws at us. And then some simplify wisdom even further and say, you know, wisdom is just always doing what's right. Well, that sounds nice, but we don't always agree on what's right, do we? Now, some of those things may be true about wisdom, but are those answers really sufficient? Or is there more to wisdom than just that? Living a good life, making sound decisions, doing what's right. And what exactly is a proverb? Well, the simplest way to describe a proverb is a short, often somewhat pithy, and easily remembered piece of guidance. When you think about it that way, you can see that every society has its own proverbs. So, for example, a few of our society's proverbs that you may be familiar with. Number one, never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. My grandfather was a lawyer, and he taught me that. Another proverb of our society, better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. That's good advice. One proverb I learned from Tom Coors, the the, the expert of wisdom among us. We're too poor to be cheap. Okay? We're too poor to be cheap is the idea that if you don't have a ton of money, you better not cut corners when you buy things. Get it right the first time. Spend a little bit more money the first time. I actually like that proverb. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Another proverb. The only sure things in life are death and taxes. I'm sure many of us have heard that. A proverb that I subscribe to. The early bird gets the worm. I'm an early riser. Another proverb, work smart, not hard. That's a good one. Another proverb that very much lines up with what we read in Proverbs, happy wife, happy life. That's a good one. And then finally, my personal favorite that comes in handy in pastoral ministry is snitches get stitches. (laughs) Proverbs are catchy, easy to remember bits of wisdom That can apply in all kinds of different circumstances. And Proverbs are easily remembered so that they can come to your mind quickly when you need them. But how do we typically go about gaining wisdom? Let's say we agree that wisdom is important. And it's more than just making sound decisions. It's more than just doing what's right. It's more than just trying to live a good life. Well, how do we gain wisdom? Well, worldly wisdom can be gained in a few different ways. Experience, number one, you learn by doing, right? When you're applying for a job, it always helps to have some experience on your resume. It shows an employer that you've accrued some wisdom in that respective field. Another way to gain wisdom is through education. A proverb is a good form of education and wisdom. But another popular way of doing this is mentorship. 
intentionally seeking out someone with great wisdom of their own. That way they can pass their wisdom onto you so that they can teach you. And then finally, we can gain a lot of wisdom through making mistakes. Often the greatest wisdom comes when we have to step back and exclaim, well, I will never do it that way again. There's all kinds of different ways to acquire wisdom about how our world works and how we can survive it. But the wisdom in the book of Proverbs and the rest of the Bible, for that matter, isn't necessarily like the wisdom of the world. Biblical wisdom and worldly common sense aren't exactly the same. Now, there are some ways that God's wisdom and worldly wisdom can sometimes intersect. That's not surprising. I mean, after all, God is the one who created our world in the first place. But there are also significant ways that the world's wisdom and God's wisdom are quite different. And scripture helps us better understand wisdom by God's standards. So in this three-week sermon series, we're going to examine three common themes or three common principles of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. The first is the fear of God. That's what we'll talk about this morning. The second is fleeing sin. David Richards will preach on that next Sunday. And the third is pursuing righteousness. Now, if the world's wisdom and God's wisdom aren't exactly the same... How do we go about acquiring God's wisdom? We just mentioned those three common ways of acquiring worldly wisdom, experience, education, mistakes. Those can all be helpful. But can we acquire God's wisdom by the same means? Or is something more needed? And then finally, how does this all connect to Jesus? Proverbs is often criticized by many, partly because people read it and they don't see how. It comes back to Christ. Some people read it and come to believe that it's just overly simplistic moral teaching that's out of touch with how the world really works and unrelated to the gospel. And if you read Proverbs in the wrong way, separated from the rest of Scripture, you can see how someone might come to that conclusion. But I think if you read it rightly, Proverbs is not just a book of cheesy moralisms or false promises of an easy life or shallow teachings about personal responsibility. Proverbs is one helpful piece in the greater story of redemption. God's plan to redeem and restore sinners through Jesus Christ. So open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide if you didn't bring one. And take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. But before we go any further, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given to us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We come to you this morning seeking wisdom. We want to be wise people, but we don't just want to be wise in the ways of the world. We want to be wise in your eyes. So, Father, I pray that as we open your word, you would remind us that your word is a God-given source of wisdom in this life. There's all kinds of books that we could open to learn a little bit about wisdom. There's all kinds of books that have good teachings and sound guidance in them that can be helpful. But 
your word is the greatest source of wisdom that we can open in this life. So, Father, be with us as we read from it. And I pray that you would give us the wisdom that we seek on your terms, not on ours. And I pray that we would put wisdom into practice for the good of our church, for the good of those around us, and ultimately for your glory. And I pray that we would remember that wisdom ultimately revolves around your son, Jesus Christ. That the wisest thing we could ever do is be united with him. And thank you that in your wisdom, you do that for us. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Be with us as we read. Be with us as we listen. Be with all of us who call this church home this morning. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we open the book in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, we see that a large portion of the book was composed by Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived. When Solomon became king at a young age, God told him that he could ask for anything. And Solomon asked for wisdom. Now, God commended him for this. Solomon could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for power. But he asked for wisdom. And sure enough, God answered his prayer and he gave Solomon wisdom. Soon enough, Solomon developed enough of a reputation that people from all over sought him out for their questions to resolve their disputes. Now, there were other contributors as well to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a collection of wisdom over some time from multiple different sources. But nevertheless, the book of Proverbs is usually primarily associated with Solomon. But one of the most noticeable things about the book of Proverbs is just how wonderfully practical so much of it is. There's wisdom in this book about how to deal with family, how to deal with finances, work, confrontation, friendship, and even citizenship in your city or your town or your society at large. In multiple places, Proverbs is read as a father simply trying to give practical guidance to his son. There's a great example of the practicality of the book of Proverbs in chapter 26, starting in verse 4. We read there, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. There is so much wisdom here because we know from experience, living in our world, that wisdom isn't always clear-cut. So take these verses, for example. Sometimes it's wise to answer a fool. If you see someone making a terrible decision, teaching something that is awful and false, sometimes the best thing you can do is speak up and answer them, respond, try to correct them. But then there are other times when that is not the wise thing to do. There are some times that when you see a person making a foolish decision, the best thing you can do is step back and let them learn on their own. Now, some people like to cite this passage as an example of how the Bible contradicts itself, but that's simply not the case. If you think about it, both of these verses are true. Sometimes it's wise to speak up. And sometimes it's not. It depends on the situation. It depends on the fool. You just 
have to use discernment. And so much of wisdom, what Proverbs is really all about, is discernment. It's learning how to handle practical situations in a wise manner. And that's exactly what we see here. And Proverbs is full of guidance like this. Guidance that can be incredibly useful for everyday life. But Proverbs is also so much more than just that. So let's begin reading Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, just about anyone, I think, in our day and age can get on board with verses 1 through 6. Words like righteousness and Justice, equity, those are wonderful buzzwords these days. Everyone wants those things, or so we're told. That word prudence may be somewhat out of style, but it's a wonderful attribute to have. Increased learning. This all sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, only the cartoon villains of our world would be opposed to things like justice and equity and prudence. What's not to like about verses 1 through 6? Everything sounds so universally desirable. But then you get to verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. That's where many people in our world, and maybe even people in the church, start to get a little bit uncomfortable. But if this concept of the fear of the Lord makes you squirm, then you probably won't like the rest of Proverbs either. Because this phrase, or something similar to it, occurs over 20 times throughout the book. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, we read, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Chapter 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. And then finally, chapter 31, verse 30. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Over and over and over, the fear of the Lord is held up as this wonderful virtue of God's people. And it's the very foundation of wisdom. But what exactly do we mean by fear in that phrase? If we're talking about fearing our God the same way the pagans feared theirs because they thought their gods were vindictive and unstable and easily manipulated, then you'd be right to be uncomfortable with viewing God in this way. But we have to keep in mind that our God is not like theirs. 
Our God is good and holy and just. We don't have to worry about God being untrustworthy. We don't have to worry about God being unjust. We don't have to worry about God being easily manipulated by someone else to do us harm. Our God is good and holy and just. So while they might fear their God, and we might fear our God in a healthy and proper manner, our God is not like theirs, and our fear is not like theirs. Theologian Trimper Longman writes, One properly fears God because he is the most powerful being in the universe. Only fools would not be afraid of a being who has the power of life and death over them. Such persons do not understand their place in the universe and thus do not know how to act in the world. I love that phrase he uses, that someone who doesn't fear God does not understand their place in the universe. Another theologian describes the fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs as a knee-knocking awe. A knee-knocking awe. There is great wisdom And simply leaving here and understanding that there is a God out there, and it's not you, and it's not me. We must understand our place in the world. Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived, gives us a good picture of a healthy fear of the Lord in Matthew chapter 10. He says his disciples should fear God because he has the power to cast us into hell. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. But then in the exact same passage, Jesus tells his disciples to fear not, because God values us more than the birds of the air. The beauty of Jesus' words in that passage is that our God, the one so worthy of our fear, so worthy of our knee-knocking awe, is the same God who loves us as a father loves his children. And according to the author of Proverbs, that kind of fear of the Lord, for us, that can be a strong confidence. That can be refuge. That can be a fountain of life, having that healthy fear of God. So according to Proverbs, the very foundation of wisdom, where it all starts, is this healthy fear of the Lord. This proper understanding of our place in the world And this proper understanding of just how much greater God is than we are. So wisdom is lacking. We view it as nothing more than trying to ensure a good life. Or nothing more than trying to make wise decisions. Or simply just doing the right thing. Wisdom is far more than that. True godly wisdom can only begin when we have the same awe-inspiring view of God That we see in scripture. And when we have a realistic and humble view of ourselves. Again, Trimper Logman, that theologian, writes, Pagans may well stumble on some interesting and helpful truth that provides insight on how to avoid a problem or achieve a desired goal. They may even be able to formulate that bit of advice in a way that is memorable. However, they would still not be judged as truly and authentically wise because they lack fear of God. If you read about the life of Solomon, there's plenty that scripture gives us. There's 
record in First Kings. We have a little bit in Proverbs. There is some debate about Ecclesiastes. But if you look at First Kings, chapter 10 and chapter 11, Solomon is on top of the world. All the wealth, all the power, all the reputation. He is incredibly blessed. He has, by many people's arguments, surpassed his father, King David. But then in chapter 11, things go wrong. It says Solomon turns from the Lord. And we see the destruction that occurs. Solomon worships false gods brought in by the women he lusted after. And it causes great pain in his own life. And eventually sets the tone for the generations following in Israel. So what you see in the life of Solomon is this man who starts out so wise. This man who fears God. But then when you separate fear of the Lord from wisdom, Solomon's wisdom only took him so far. He was still wise. He still had some good guidance. He could still offer some sound teaching. But when he no longer feared the Lord... Things did not go well. But back to us. How does this fear of the Lord really help us acquire wisdom? Well, Scripture shows us that God is all too willing to give wisdom to those who fear him and those who seek it. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. We have this image of Proverbs or wisdom As a woman standing in the street, begging people to listen to her, begging people to take the wisdom she has to offer. God is willing to give wisdom to those who seek it. We see the same idea in James chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Chapter 1, starting in verse 5, rather. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. James is saying, if you really believe in God, if you really fear God, and if you really do want wisdom, just ask him for it, and he will give it to you. And then Paul writes plenty about wisdom in 1 Corinthians. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. It's not a worldly wisdom Paul's talking about. Verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Paul's talking about Christ, the gospel, wisdom that can only come by the power of the Spirit. 
So experience and education and mistakes, they can all help us acquire worldly wisdom. They can all be helpful. But if godly wisdom is what you're really after, you need more than just experience or education or learning from your mistakes. We need something supernatural. We need revelation from God. And thankfully, according to the apostles, God has done just that. He has given us his revelation. He has given us scripture. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, he has given us Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, verse 2, when Jesus is teaching to crowds, people are amazed at the wisdom that this man shows. They just can't wrap their mind around it. In Mark chapter 6, verse 2, they say, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? In Luke 11, verse 31, Jesus proclaims that he is greater than Solomon, the author of all that wisdom seen in the book of Proverbs. In Colossians 2, Paul says that all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are in Christ. So the book of Proverbs is correct. True wisdom begins with a healthy fear of the Lord. But we also see that true wisdom culminates It finds its completion in a relationship with Jesus. Look to Christ, because Christ is the epitome of God's wisdom. Now, what's the opposite of wisdom? Well, the opposite of wisdom is folly. In the Old Testament, the ultimate form of folly was the sin of idolatry. Worshipping something other than God as if it were God. So if Jesus is the epitome of God's wisdom, I'd suggest that our ultimate folly as Christian believers is when we allow the things that take our eyes and our worship away from Jesus. When we allow those things to have safe harbor in our hearts and in our minds. Believing in and proclaiming and following Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength is wise. But following anything else, trusting in anything else, giving your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength to all these other things, that is folly. Now, this idea of wisdom may clash with the world's idea of wisdom. But then again, keep in mind that God's wisdom and the world's wisdom don't always see eye to eye. We see that so clearly as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Paul's talking about the gospel, and he says this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified 
a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Having worldly wisdom in this life can be very helpful. Worldly wisdom can help us avoid poor decisions. It can help us live a fruitful life. It can do all kinds of good for us. But worldly wisdom will only take you so far. And godly wisdom leads you to the foot of the cross. The cross that so much of the world says is nothing but folly. That place where the epitome of God's wisdom, Jesus Christ, suffered and died for the sins of fools. Suffered and died for the sins of people who didn't fear God. People like us. But thank God for his wisdom. Thank God that in his wisdom, he hated sin so much that he would send his son to die for it. And thank God on his wisdom. And thank Jesus himself for loving you so much that he would die for your sin and for your folly. Now, this might sound strange to much of the wisdom of the world. It might sound foreign and bizarre and even insensible. In the eyes of the world, it's not very wise for God to send Jesus to a cross for sinners. But again, we thank God that his wisdom isn't like the wisdom of the world. His wisdom is far better than the wisdom of the world. He is infinitely wise and infinitely good. And he is worthy of our worship. And he's worthy of our fear. So we trust and we love and we fear a wise God. Who may not make sense in the eyes of the world. But it makes sense when you look at the cross. When you look at the cross, when you're given the Spirit, all of a sudden it all comes together. That God is much wiser than I am, he's much wiser than you are, and he's much wiser than any wisdom this world has to offer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are good, that you are holy, that you are just, and that you are wise. Thank you that you would send your son to die for fools like us. People who are so unwise, people who do not give you the worship and the awe and the fear that you deserve. Thank you for your goodness and your your kindness and your grace and your mercy. Father, make us wise, but not wise by the world's standards, but wise by your standards. Help us look more and more to the cross, look more and more to Christ, the epitome of your wisdom. Thank you that you have given us refuge, you have given us a stronghold, you have given us confidence, as we read in Proverbs. Thank you that we don't have to fear the day of judgment, as we read in 1 John, because of what your Son has done for us. Thank you that 
You know the hairs on our heads, that you value us more than the sparrows of the air. Thank you that you have spared us from punishment, well-deserved wrath. And this all comes back to the cross. Even though it seems like folly, even though it might not make sense to the world, keep our eyes fixed on the cross and make us wise. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.